I hope you have been blessed so far by our series in the Gospel of Mark. I know I have. We arrive today at chapter 8, and it's a significant turning point in Mark. The rapid pace so far of this gospel slows down to a deliberate march as Jesus is no longer going to be moving from town to town and going back and forth across the lake. He will now lead and teach his disciples on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to Calvary. You know, no matter how many times I study it, ponder it, or reflect on it, The fact that Jesus willingly made his way to the cross for me, for you, never ceases to overwhelm my soul. It's overwhelming because of how the cross was the instrument of the most cruel and humiliating form of death, reserved for the lowest criminals. It's overwhelming because of how Jesus knew this was his path, and yet he continued to take it. Peter, who of course plays a significant role in Mark chapter 8, says in chapter 1 of his first letter, starting in verse 18, these words. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. From the very beginning, Jesus knew the sacrificial road he would have to take, and yet he took it. But what is most overwhelming to me is the reason why Jesus made his way to the cross. You me. The first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12 come to mind where it says, therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus made his way to the cross because of the joy set before him. You are that joy. Your salvation and mine, our chance to dwell with him forever, was what he had squarely in his view. I was reading one of my favorite author's writings this week, on this transition toward the cross that Jesus makes here in Mark 8. And it caused me to have that overwhelming feeling yet again by Jesus' willingness to make his way to the cross. I want to share it with you. In Desire of Ages, Ellen White states this. She says, The path from the manger to Calvary was all before his eyes. He knew the anguish that would come upon him. He knew it all. And yet he said, Lo, I come. In the volume of his book, it is is written of me, I delight to do thy will. Oh, my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Ever before him, he saw the result of his mission. His earthly life, so full of toil and self-sacrifice, was cheered by the prospect that he would not have all this 
travail for naught by giving his life for the life of men. He would win back the world to its loyalty to God. Although the baptism of blood must first be received, although the sins of the world were to weigh upon his innocent soul, although the shadow of an unspeakable woe was upon him, yet for the joy that was set before him, he chose to endure the cross and despised the shame. I am overwhelmed by how Jesus made his way to the cross for us. And it's here in Mark 8 that Jesus now describes plainly to his disciples this difficult journey he will make. And this too is overwhelming for the disciples to hear. We read in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31, it says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Boy, what a bombshell this must have been for the disciples. And this was just after Jesus had asked them who they, who he thought, uh, who he asked them, who do you think I am? And Peter answered correctly by saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And they all knew so well what to expect from the Messiah. A strong king-like leader with military and political power that would bring victory over the earthly enemies of God's people. So although he displays astonishing nerve here, it's maybe not so shocking that after hearing this, Peter would pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. Suffering and death are not part of messianic expectations, Jesus. It's also no surprise that Jesus responds by rebuking Peter, who I think in his blind love for Jesus is giving voice to temptation here. Satan seems to be trying to make worldly glory the focus. But as the disciples, disciples will later discover, worldly glory pales in comparison to the glory of the cross. Jesus is the expected Messiah, but in the most unexpected manner. Now, this isn't the main thrust of our message today, but I can't help but just stop here and note the struggle that I believe still exists of trying to make Jesus fit into our expectations, our agenda, our plans. I often struggle with that. Like Peter, I get so wrapped up with merely human concerns and expect Jesus to fit within those concerns. Which is why I'm so grateful for his patience and grace that I don't deserve as he continues to show me time and again that his agenda, his plans are so much better than mine. Well, the overwhelming news doesn't stop there. We continue reading on in verse 34 of Mark chapter 8. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Wow. Jesus sure doesn't sugarcoat anything here. He's not using some clickbait tactic to try and convince his disciples to follow him. No, he just lays out the facts up front. My path ahead is one of suffering and sacrifice. And if you want to be my disciple, then that is the path you must embrace as well. Jesus really illustrates this reality by declaring that to follow him means to deny yourself and take up your cross. What does it mean to deny yourself? The other night I got a little snacky around 9 p.m. Don't know if that ever happens to you. I really felt like eating something sweet, but I was trying to be good, trying to stay true to the healthy eating goals I set out to follow at the start of the new year. So I denied myself. I denied myself from digging into that giant bag of M&Ms we still had left over from Pastor Kazar's children's story. Thanks a lot, Kazar, who's recording today. Decided to refrain, to deny myself from digging into that big bag of M&Ms and instead ate carrot sticks. I felt good about myself, good about that denial when the night was over. But I don't think that's the kind of denial that Jesus is talking about here. I think it's more like how Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes it in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. To deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is he leads the way. Keep close to him. I think it's more like that. Or like how one of my favorite authors, who I already shared some of her words on her commentary on this chapter in Mark, she describes it in The Desire of Ages this way. She says, Love for souls for whom Christ died means crucifixion of self. He who is a child of God should henceforth look upon himself, and I love this part, as a link in the chain let down to save the world, one with Christ in his plan of mercy, going forth with him to seek and save the lost. The Christian is ever to realize that he has consecrated himself to God and that in character he is to reveal Christ to the world. It is not the denial of something to the self Jesus demands here. It is the denial of the self itself. Maybe practically put, this means that every day we open ourselves up to God's initiatives and control. Are you positioning yourself each day to be open to God's initiatives and control? Am I? And then what about the next qualifier, to take up our cross? What does that mean? As I mentioned at the beginning, the cross was the instrument of the most cruel and humiliating form of death in Jesus' time, reserved only for slaves and the worst of criminals. In addition, the cruel, in addition to the cruel 
horror of, of crucifixion. The Jews also believed that anyone who was hanged on a tree was accursed of God. By inviting followers to take up a cross, Jesus offers them a shameful stigma to go with agonizing suffering. How startling this must have been for the disciples to hear. It's startling for me to hear. Jesus, I'm cool with following you to experience all the love and the grace and the peace that you give, but suffering, humiliation, I'm not sure that's going to work out for me, Jesus. If this is my attitude, then I only love Jesus for my sake. But if I'm willing to take up my cross to follow him, then it means I love Jesus for his own sake. I'd like to read to you another quote, this time from New Testament scholar David E. Garland's perspective on bearing our cross from his commentary on Mark. He says this, Cross-bearing refers to self-sacrifice, even to the point of giving one's own life. The call for self-sacrifice, however, is given the soft sell in too many congregations and television ministries today. Unlike some contemporary peddlers of the gospel, Jesus does not offer his disciples varieties of self-fulfillment, intoxicating spiritual experiences, or intellectual stimulation. He presents them with a cross. He does not invite them to try the cross on for size and see if they like it. He does not ask for volunteers to carry one for extra credit. This particular demand separates the disciples from the admirers. Disciples must do more than survey the wondrous cross, glory in the cross of Christ, and love the old rugged cross as beloved hymns have it. They must become like Jesus in obedience and live the cross. Hmm. Are you just an admirer of the cross? Or are you a disciple who lives it? I found myself challenged by that very question many times this week. Boy, when I reflect on these two demands of discipleship, denial, taking up my cross, I wonder if sometimes I have lost the real essence of what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. I mean, I attend church. Kind of have to. <laughs> I'm a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. But am I a disciple of Christ? Sometimes I wonder if I have substituted things like attendance for authenticity, religion for relationship, or membership for discipleship. As I thought about this, I started to realize how I was a member of so many different things. In fact, I was cleaning out my wallet of some old receipts and, and papers this week, and I was stunned by how many membership cards I have in here. 
and how easy it was to get all these. For example, I'm a Mileage Plus member with United Airlines and an American Airlines Advantage Program member and a Southwest Rapid Rewards member. I even have American Airlines and Southwest credit cards so I can get extra mileage points. The airlines made it so easy for me to sign up for these. They'll even you know, sign you up while you're on a flight with them. I also found this Hilton Honors uh, membership, not because I stay you know, in Hilton's hotels very often, but because of the one time I stayed there a few years back, I needed free Wi-Fi. And the only way I could get free Wi-Fi was to sign up for Hilton's Rewards. It was easy. Just had to give them my name and a few details like my address, phone number. Oh, and of course, I can't forget one of my favorites, Costco. My Costco membership, which Beamy and I are so thrilled to get because there wasn't a Costco where we used to live in Ohio. Now, it costs a nominal fee, you know, membership fee, $60 or something like that. But you usually more than make up for that in savings by the end of the year. And if you decide you're dissatisfied, you can tell that to Costco and they'll cancel your membership and give you a full refund on your fee at any time. I have so many other cards like these in my wallet reminding me how easy and convenient membership is. And then I didn't stop there. I pulled out my keys. And I even have these membership cards on my keys. I got one for gas station rewards, for Ace Hardware rewards, one for a public library. Reminded me how it was so easy to get these and that membership is easy. And then I pulled out my phone and I saw the countless apps that showed all the other memberships I have. Most of them free. Most of them I signed up for in just a few seconds. Membership is easy, but discipleship is costly. Now, don't get me wrong. I think membership at a church is awesome. And I love and am so thankful that we have the members we have at Calamasa Church. And I want our membership to grow. I love being a member of this church. And if there are those of you listening today that aren't members, I invite you to consider making one of the best decisions you could ever make and join this church family. Furthermore, membership should lead to discipleship. The two should go hand in hand. But membership can be easy. And discipleship never is. You see, discipleship is costly because if you get slapped on one cheek, it means you have to offer the other. Discipleship is costly because when someone wants to take your shirt, you give them your coat as well. Discipleship is costly because if someone forces you to go a mile, a Christ follower goes with them two miles. Discipleship is costly because you have to love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Discipleship is costly because it gives without letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Discipleship is costly because it forces you to look at the plank in your own eye rather than the sawdust in your brother or sister's eye. Discipleship is costly because it involves forgiving those that have sinned against you. Discipleship is costly because it doesn't store up treasures on earth. It stores up treasures in heaven. Membership, that's easy. Discipleship, that is costly. But family, it is worth the cost. It is worth it because you're living with and for 
Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you have everything. But Jesus really puts in perspective how the cost of discipleship is worth it. When he went on to say in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse uh, 36, he says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Family, there is nothing in this world more valuable than the salvation of your soul. And the crazy thing is there was nothing more valuable to Jesus either because he paid the highest price he could to save it. Jesus was willing to lose his life to save yours. Don't you think it's worth losing your life to let him? Family, I don't want to just be an admirer of Jesus. I don't want to just be an attender or just a member. I want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And I invite you to make that commitment with me today. I invite you to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. Please pray with me. Lord, we know that discipleship is not easy, but we take so much comfort, Lord, knowing that you did not do what was easy for us. You were willing to lose your life on the cross, no less, so that our souls could be saved. And Lord, we want to commit today to giving up everything to let you save us. Lord, we know that denial of ourselves and taking up our cross is not easy. Sometimes, Lord, because we choose to walk the path behind you, that there's going to be humiliation, there's going to be frustration, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be challenges ahead because of that, suffering even. But, Lord, we know that it's all worth it because when we have you, we have everything. Thank you, Lord for caring for the salvation of our souls. May we care for it as well by choosing to be your true disciples today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.